It's been a while, almost a year and a half since we concluded Daniel chapter 6. I promised you then we would come back to Daniel. We would finish this Old Testament book. Well, here we are. We're getting back into it. Chapter 7 is where we're going to be beginning. I, I just want to start off by saying to you, don't be disappointed. I am not a genius of prophetic understanding. I'm not even a claim to be. I'm not going to pursue it in that fashion because I think that too often we miss some very important truths while we are seeking after those things that are hidden from us and things that we may never understand that God has not necessarily given to us. As we go through these last chapters of Daniel, most of the readings are going to be quite lengthy. Most of the truths I'm going to share with you are rather obvious, though they are often ignored or walked past. And tonight, or this morning, we begin by looking in Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is where the book takes a turn. In the first six chapters, we've been reading about Daniel's life, events that happened in his life and the lives of his friends, the prayer times he had, the persecution he experienced, all of those types of things. But when we enter chapter 7, we move into a prophetic realm of visions and dreams and happenings current and future. This morning, we're going to read this entire seventh chapter. And so before I begin, I'm just going to tell you what I always tell you. If you can and will, I want to invite you to stand with me. If that is a physical hardship for you, please, please understand. I know these are lengthy readings, and I'm not asking any of you to be uncomfortable or in pain or anything of that sort. But in honor of our Heavenly Father, I'm going to invite you, if you can and will, to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Holy Word beginning Daniel chapter 7 in verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea and four great beasts, each different from the others came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. And after that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast. Terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth, and it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. And while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. 
His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and his wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but they were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on his head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched... This horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise. Different from the earlier ones, he will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit. And his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts. My face turned pale. But I kept the matter to myself. Hear the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that there are those things that you reveal to us and those things that you hold for yourself. I just pray that as we spend these moments together, you would make the truth obvious to us. That you would teach us your way. 
that you would grant us courage to walk in it today and every day that you leave us here upon this earth. And Father, I, I pray now that our hearts would be open to your word, sensitive to the moving of your spirit, that you might show us your direction. Father, speak, for your servants are ready to listen and learn. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Daniel lay down on his bed and had a dream. Not surprising to me, monsters came. (laughs) It's been my experience, that's usually when the monsters show up, isn't it? At night, when we're trying to sleep, when we're trying to rest, when we're trying to put the world away for a little while, that's when things get out of control for us. And in the midst of it all, God opened up for Daniel a panoramic view of what had been, what was, and what was still to come. I want us to spend the few moments we have here together this morning considering what Daniel saw, what it might mean. Please understand, I'm not going to try to pinpoint down things that are not something we can be certain of. I don't think that supposition serves us well, but I do want us to see the truth. And I want you to understand a couple of things even as we begin. The truth is here for God's people. And it is an important truth, a valid truth, and a truth that I believe we need to grab a hold of, possess, and own today. And when I say that, what I mean is we begin with this first simple truth. God is in control. God is in control. Listen, I know, I'm, I'm like you. Sometimes I look around at the world around me and I think, man, things are just coming apart. I mean, it's like the wheels are coming off the cart. We see it in politics. We see it in the international realm. We see it in our own nation. Some of us are seeing it in our own homes, in our own families. Some of us are seeing it in our business, in our workplaces. It just seems like everything is spiraling and it's out of control. And I want you to know something this morning. Relax. God's got this. God is in control. We don't always understand that because God chooses to reveal what he wants to reveal. Now, just let me give you a little side note, all right? If you're a note taker, this is one you jot off over in the margin. Go home and check this out. Deuteronomy 29.29. This is a verse you need, to, you need to mark in your Bible, brothers and sisters. Deuteronomy 29.29. It basically will tell you this. There are things that God has given to us to know and understand, and there are things that he holds for himself. We will never know them. We will never understand them. So, you know, sometimes people come up and say, Preacher, I don't understand this. Would you explain? And I look at him and say, it's a Deuteronomy 29, 29 thing. That's one of those things God hadn't shown me. I, I don't know if he's shown it to anybody, but he hadn't shown it to me. He's kept that for himself. He can do that. Do you know why? Because God is sovereign. He can reveal as little or as much as he desires to. Now, let's just stay in this chapter. Can we do that? Not going to go running everywhere else. I'm going to stay right here in this chapter. So if you've got your Bible open, I want you to stay with me. First off, Daniel tells us when this occurred. Verse 1, he tells us, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. Now, Belshazzar's story has already been told back in chapter 5. You remember, there was a drunken party, the king died that night, and his empire collapsed, and and it was taken over by the Medes. 
So this is something that's already occurred. And so when he tells us that this vision occurred in the first year of Belshazzar, he's telling us it probably was around 550 to 553 B.C. because that's when Belshazzar came to the throne. Daniel, by the time he has this vision and and, and writes this down for us, he's probably in his mid-60s. He's not the young man anymore that that was in the king's court. He's not the young man who set out the contest of diets. He's not the young man who talked about his three friends who went into the, the fire. No, he's now an elder statesman, held in high regard and respected here. But he understood that what he saw was important, and so he wrote down his dream. He gives us a written record. And God chose what he would reveal and what he would withhold. Understand something? As Daniel's watching this, he understands something that you and I need to grasp this morning. And I think that something needs to be said over and over. And it's something I think the church needs to be repeating to itself and reminding itself of. And it's simply this. God empowers all worldly authority. There is no authority. There is no earthly authority without the empowerment that comes from God, the sovereign. And so when we see these verses we're about to get into here where we see the rising of the four beasts of Daniel, we need to understand that every one of these beasts, as they rose, as they existed, as they declined, it was all under God's control. It wasn't the changing of military might. It wasn't the changing of guard. It wasn't the. It was all because God said yes and no. All of it. That's still true today. God is the giver of power and authority here on earth. The first beast rises. We're going to run through these real quick, all right? If you've got your Bible, look at verse 4. The first beast appears as a lion with eagle's wings. Now, listen, just right off the bat, I'm just going to tell you, this is Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And people will say, well, why are you convinced of that? I'm convinced of that because of other prophets. Jeremiah and Ezekiel both referred to the lion and the eagle, and they were talking about Babylon. They were talking about Nebuchadnezzar. The second beast arises in verse 5. Looked like a bear with three ribs, three ribs in his teeth. This is the Medo-Persian Empire that came after Babylon. You say, well, why do you think that? Simple. Because the Medo-Persian Empire, first off, is represented in history by the bear. Secondly, they consumed three other empires whenever they rose to become a world power. That's the three ribs that are in the teeth. The last thing it says about this beast in verse 5 was it was raised up on its one side, on side. Well, what's the big deal about that? You ever seen a bear walk? Bears don't walk straight. They kind of go side to side. Yeah, they do. But understand, it says it was raised up on one side. When we talk about the Medo-Persian Empire, one people was greater than the other. Okay? The Persians were greater. They were more powerful. They carried more authority within that empire and they exercise dominance over the Medes the third beast raises up in verse 6 he says after that I looked and there was another beast one that looked like a leopard now we all know what a leopard looks like all right big cat fast powerful that's awesome but then this thing gets a little bit freaky on us okay it says it looked like a leopard But on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. And this beast had four heads 
Now, we just changed the picture a little bit, didn't we? So who is this beast? Greece. The leopard represents power and speed. The wings enhance that speed. There has never been an empire that rose as quickly, that conquered as much of the world as quickly as what the Greek empire did under the power and authority and rule of Alexander the Great. Okay, great, but what about this forehead thing? Y'all remember history? Alexander led his armies, and they conquered the known world. I mean, he's 30 years old, and he's looking around and saying, what else is there? And there wasn't. And he died. He died a young man who saw nothing else left to conquer. Do you know what happened to the Greek empire whenever he died? His four generals, the four heads, took the Greek empire and cut it into four sections. And each one of them took a section. And that's what shaped the Middle East moving into the time of the Roman Empire and the arrival of the Christ. And then comes the fourth beast. In verses 7 and 8, and Daniel says, man, this is it. This is the most frightening thing I have ever seen. He doesn't even really describe the beast for us. He doesn't give us the graphic description that we've seen in relation to the others. But what he does tell us about this beast is that it was frightening, it was terrifying, it was very powerful, and it had large iron teeth. And it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different than the beasts that had come and gone before. You see, here's, here's what you have to understand. Daniel, at the beginning of this vision, saw what had been. And then he saw what was. And then he saw the things that were yet to come. And whenever he talks about this fourth beast, I can't help but think that it's the arrival of the Roman Empire. Because of the number of horns that arise that represent different kings who came across in this way. But then he makes an interesting note that just kind of makes you stop, scratch your head and say, okay, what in the world is this all about? In verse 8, he tells us, well, I was thinking about the horns. There before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Now, friends, I want you to understand something. I I told you before, I'm not a prophetic genius or anything of that sort. I don't make any claims to it. I'm just like everybody else who reads this and says, man, this guy had way too much pepperoni pizza way too late before he went to bed, okay? But let me explain to you. People say, well, that can't be right because, well, if you say that this is the Roman Empire and then you say that this little horn, which most commentators will tell you is the Antichrist, well, he didn't emerge out of the Roman Empire. Oh, but please understand, stay with me. The Roman Empire gave shape to all of Western civilization. And even though the Roman Empire as it was in the day of Christ no longer exists, we still are living under the shaping and molding of the Roman Empire today. 
And whenever it says that three of the prior horns, three of the earlier kings are going to be uprooted by this little horn, it's basically telling us that, you know what, they're going to be world powers that are not going to be world powers any longer. Not when he arrives. Everything is going to be reshaped. Everything is going to be remade. Everything is going to be remolded. So who in the world is this? Well, let's just kind of stop and back up and think about these first eight verses. All of these beasts represent the kingdoms of this earth and represent the ruling and the reigning of the Gentiles over God's people. This is what this is all about. They control the world for a time. The world is not under the control of God. Listen, I know that God controls all things, but I also know that he has given authority in this world to the prince of darkness for a time. Don't be deceived. You see these beasts and they're frightening. Daniel said they scared him. His face got pale. I mean, it, it washed him out. He had never seen anything like this and it scared him. But I want you to understand something, though you may be frightened by the beasts. When the monsters show up at night, just remember this. No kingdom exists. No king rules. Unless that kingdom or that king are given authority to reign by the Almighty. Do you know why that is, my friend? It's simple. It's because God is sovereign. And this world is part of his kingdom, and God controls his kingdom. He does. You say, well, listen, I'm not sure where you're coming at with this. Go back with me. Look at verses 9 and 10. He's seen all the beasts, and now he says, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Who is this Ancient of Days? It is God. It is the one true God, the living God, the almighty, the one who created and keeps and sustains. He is the one who is called the ancient of days. Why? Because he always was and he ever will be. And he is seated upon his throne. He took his seat. Great great detail is given to describe him. You want to know what God's like? Daniel says, this is the best way I can describe it. Here's the best way I can understand it. Just, you got it right there in front of you. You can look at it. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was like white wool. White, purity, cleanliness. There is no sin. There is no blemish. There is no flaw. He is perfect in his holiness. And then he says his throne was flaming with fire. What does fire do in Scripture? It purifies. It refines So anyone who draws near to him is going to draw near to the flame. They will be purified. They will be cleansed. And its wheels were all ablaze. And then it says this amazing thing. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. I read that and you know what popped into my mind? What does it say over in the book of Revelation? Out of the throne there flowed a river of living water. You don't get to the living water until you go through the cleansing. You have to be made clean before you can come to that living water. It's, it happens together. But then look at what it says. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Oh, so we're in heaven. Not yet. Don't get ahead of yourself. 
Because then Daniel says the court was seated and the books were opened. The judge has arrived. The judge has taken his seat. Not a judge, not one of the judges. The judge is now seated. And he is the sovereign who will fulfill all of his plans. What's that mean? Keep going with me. Verse 11. I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, his body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. (laughs) We saw this little horn show up in verse 8. In verse 11, he's still mouthing off. You know, there are maybe places where you want to mouth off, and there may be people you want to mouth off to. But I don't believe that when you are standing in front of the throne, when you are standing in front of the judge, when you are standing in front of the ancient of days, that is not the time to be spouting off, folks. So let me just put it to you as simply as I can, and please, children, do not hear what I'm about to say because I'm going to use an ugly word, okay? The Antichrist is stupid. He doesn't have enough sense to keep his mouth shut when he is in front of God. He continues to mouth off and look at what happens. He is unceremoniously put to death and cast into the lake of fire. The other kingdoms continued to exist for a while. In a weakened state, they were no longer powerful. But not so for this little horn. Not so for Antichrist. His end is immediate. And so now Daniel focuses on the two persons I want you to focus on. You ready? Look at verse 13. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The Son of Man, the Ancient of Days. Now, I'm going to step down off of the pulpit so that I can get onto my soapbox. I just love it whenever people tell me, Preacher, you just need to preach more out of the New Testament because Jesus isn't in the Old Testament. Ha! There he is. Do you know what Jesus' favorite name was for himself when he was walking this earth and teaching? Do you know what the name was that he used for himself more than any other name? Son of Man. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man, when he is lifted up, will draw all men unto himself. Son of Man. The Son of Man is Jesus Christ. So here we have the Father, the Ancient of Days. And we have Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Well, you're making a stretch. It doesn't say Jesus Christ, so you can't know that. All right, you tell me if it doesn't add up. How does he appear here? He is descending in the clouds. 
wasn't there something in Acts chapter 1 about Jesus being taken up into the clouds and two angels that stood there by his followers saying, you men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking up into the clouds? Don't you know that this Jesus who has just gone away from you will come again in like fashion? Oh, so he went up in the clouds, he's coming down in the clouds. What happens here? The Son of Man appears in the clouds. What did Paul say was going to happen in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? There's going to be a shout. There's going to be a trumpet. And Christ is going to return in the clouds. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Where are they going to rise to? Up to the clouds to meet him. And those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And thus shall we live with the Lord forever. Oh, that word shows up a little bit at the end of this chapter, doesn't it? I'm still not sure, preacher. I think you're stretching it. Okay. You asked for it. Power, authority, dominion. Who remembers Matthew chapter 28? The Great Commission? What did Jesus say? All power. All power, all authority. In heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's the reason he could commission the church. That's the reason he could command us to go and to tell. And that's the reason he could assure us that when we did, there would be results. Why? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, I'm telling you, go make disciples. Friend, I want you to understand something. I am a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ because I believe that this is the holy and inspired word of God. It is perfect. It is without error. Well, it's been translated so many times. God has protected his word. I want you to understand something. He doesn't need our help. God is just fine on his own. And I want you to understand something. From the time when the Father spoke to Eve... In Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden and told her, your son, your son is going to bruise that serpent's head. But he's going to bruise his heel. From that moment going forward, God had revealed his plan. That the son of man would arrive at the right time. When everything fell into place. God is sovereign. He's in control. And we sit and worry about this and we worry about that. We're we're worried about piddly little old things and God is controlling everything. Oh, and by the way, let me tell you one more thing before we get out of this, all right? What God controls, he will control to the very end. To the very end and even beyond. His control is not going to end. I know you're looking at me and you're saying, Preacher, it's 1130. And you still got 13, 14 verses to go. Okay, I'll talk fast. You listen fast, all right? God's eternal kingdom is for God's people. Did you hear what I said? God's eternal kingdom is for God's people. 
Verses 15 through 18 right here. I love this. Daniel says, man, I I wanted this explained to me. I wanted to understand what is it I'm looking at. And and so he finds someone to explain it to him and and, and tell him who the four great beasts are and and what they're going to be about. And then the saints of the Most High, he says, there's a conflict going on here. There's a battle. But the saints of the Most High, they're going to win. They're going to win in the end. Verse 18 says, the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. I love this. Yes, forever and ever. You question whether God's got control into eternity? Don't. But be aware of this truth. In this life, in this world, there will be suffering. There will be struggles. There will be difficulty. Daniel expressed his desire to know specifically about this fourth most frightening beast, that boastful little horn, because he says that they were making war against God's people. Here's the truth, folks. Across the landscape of history, many little antichrists People who are opposed to Christianity, people who are opposed to Jesus, people who are opposed to the kingdom of God have strutted across the world stage. They come, they go. They have their moment of impact, and then they're done. But this little horn we're reading about, he's more than any of them. He is going to boast. He is going to blow up. He is going to bring conflict to God's people. He is going to blaspheme God and persecute the church and do battle against God's design and intent and plan. And it's going to happen. Just bank on it. It's coming. It may already be in process right now, but understand that there is no one before and there will be no one after who will outdo him in evil and deception and wickedness and pride. But when his end comes, it will be that quick. When it looks like no human can remotely stand against him, he will fall. And God's people, God's people will receive their reward. For the second time in this chapter, verse 18 and then in verse 27, Daniel is told the saints will have a universal and eternal kingdom. The ancient of days, God, the most high, will see to it. People are like, well, what about the Antichrist? He's gone. He is gone. Unceremoniously, all the way back up there, you can see what happened. He was put to death. He was cast into the fire. People say, well, who killed him? Well, Daniel doesn't tell us. But before you panic, I want you to know that the answer is there. The answer is found over in the book of Revelation. Because in Revelation, we hear that the Son of Man coming on the clouds, descending back to this earth, is going to put an end to the Antichrist. So what's so important about this stuff that you'd spend Sunday morning talking about it? God is in control. The world may seem out of control to you right now, whether it's at work or at home or in your family or 
or whatever, but I want you to know God is in control. God is in control, and he is working good for his saints. But there's a long, hard road of suffering before the reward is gained. Don't like to hear that, do we? We don't like to hear that part. We just like to, you know, he shows up, kumbaya moment, everything's good, we get ushered in. Doesn't work like that. I think that's the reason when you get to the very end of this chapter, even after it's been explained to him, verse 28, Daniel says, I was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. There's a long road road ahead of us and it's going to be hard. There are going to be struggles. There are going to be difficulties. But understand something, even though some of the battles may be lost along the way, the war is already won. Our job is to be faithful and await the arrival of the Son of Man. I still get tickled at those people who want to tell me Jesus is not in the Old Testament. I really do. And, and because of that, let me, let me take you back and just show you again. Look at, look at these two verses again, because this is what you've got to hang your hat on, folks. Verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night, I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. And all peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You may as well be reading out of the book of Revelation. Because who will gather before the throne and praise him? People of every nation and every tribe and every language and every tongue. He is the one who is in control. He is the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can I just tell you something? John, I I told you a fib. I told you a fib when I said there were no songs related to Daniel 7. There are lots of them, and I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus defeated the beast at the cross. When he came out of the grave three days after, he defeated death and the grave. He overcame all of the weapons and all of the tools and all of the power that Satan has. And the victory that he won will be made complete when he returns for his bride. Oh, friends, listen, I know some of you are struggling. I I know that because you call, we talk, I I listen, I I hear. And I know that there are hard things going on in so many lives, but we need to be reminded that the Son of Man came to identify with us, to save us, to comfort us. So there's really only one thing that matters. Are you His? Are you his? If you are, you ought to be rejoicing in that. I mean, as hard as it might be, the victory's already won. Don't buy the lies of this world. I know that there are a lot of folks who would tell you, if you believe in Jesus, everything's going to be good. It's not true. That's not what Scripture says. It's not what God's Word teaches I asked someone this morning, I don't even know how we got in the conversation, but they said something, I said something, and I asked them a question. I said, 
do you know where the fastest growing church in the world is today? They said, China. I said, no, it's not. It used to be. But then China lightened up their attacks against the church. No, it comes and goes. The fastest growing church in the world today is in Iran. The answer is simple. Why is it the fastest growing? Here's the answer. The church grows where the blood of martyrs falls. Folks, believe me and understand me when I tell you there's a long, hard road ahead. Because Jesus wants his church to grow, not just in China, not just in Iran, but in every nation across the globe. Why? Because it's not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's his desire that whenever that day comes and people stand before him, that they not be standing there in judgment, but they be standing there in worship, ready to praise him, ready to exalt his name. That is God's plan. If you belong to him today, you ought to be rejoicing no matter what's going on in your life. If you don't, I'm going to ask you one simple question. Would you cry out to him today? Would you just call on him and say, Lord God, I'm a sinner. By the way, that doesn't put you in bad company because everybody in this room is a sinner, self-included. Lord God, I'm a sinner. And I know I cannot save myself. And so I'm asking you. I'm begging you, forgive me. Wash my sin away. Make it like it never was. And teach me to walk in your ways. Jesus, I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning to you. Save me. Well, that sounds too simple. Yeah, it does. But God's word says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And today, you can become a new creation in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man who is seated at the right hand of the Ancient of Days and right now is ready to intercede on your behalf. Would you call on him? Would you trust him? What a great way to get rid of the monsters that come out at night. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of invitation, of surrender, of commitment. I, I just want to give you the opportunity to respond to the Word of God, to the voice of God. If, if the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, you know that today you need that relationship. You know that today you're separated from Him. and It's a horrifying place to be. Would you call out to him? Maybe you're saying, preacher, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure how this all works. Just come take me by the hand and say, pastor, I want that relationship. I, I won't embarrass you or put you on the spot, but I'd love to visit with you. I'd love to share with you from the word of God how you can become God's child today. You don't have to be afraid of the monsters. They're already defeated. Would you call on him? Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for the knowledge that even in the midst of our fear and the things that scare us most, 
you've already claimed the victory. You've defeated the monsters. You've cast them aside. Our job is to follow you, to wait, to allow you to accomplish whatever you desire and are desiring to do in these moments. Father, I thank you that no matter where I open my Bible, I find Jesus. I find a Redeemer. I find a Savior. I find salvation and redemption and hope and life. Father, thank you for making your word like that so that someone as simple as me can find it. Lord, I pray for us in this room this morning. For the ones, perhaps, who are here who don't know you, need a relationship with you, I pray, draw them to yourself. Father, for my brothers and sisters, I pray that today you would help us to rejoice in the gift we have been given and the gift we have received, that we would trust you, we would walk in your way. And Father, I pray that in the days to come, even when the world seems out of control, that we would know in our hearts and we would trust in our minds that you are in control. Father, help us to trust you as we should. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.